Welcome to What's the Buzz Without a Podcast. This podcast is for beekeepers from Atlanta, Canada, who want relevant, timely information about beekeeping in the region. We feature beekeepers and experts with specialist insights into our beekeeping and pollination industry. The Canadian Honey Council is a national association representing beekeepers across the country. The CHC has been in operation since 1940 and works for all beekeepers, from hobbyists to the largest commercial operation. They represent over 10,000 beekeepers in Canada, and those beekeepers manage over three quarters of a million colonies. Today, we find out more about this important organization through a discussion with the CHC Executive Director, Rod Scarlett. Hello, Rod. Hi, Andrew. Um, thanks for joining us today. I understand you're joining us from just outside Edmonton in Alberta. Yep, just outside of Edmonton on a little acreage out here. Oh, nice, nice. So as with all good Maritimers, I have to ask you, Rod, how's the weather? <laughs> yeah, it's um, certainly where I'm at, it has been extremely hot and dry. We've had less than an inch of rain this year, and we have not had a day where we've had consistent rain. It's been showers, and, and that pretty much goes for everything in the prairies that I'm aware of, and a lot of BC. It's been just hot and dry, and... Uh, very dry. And of course, BC is, if you follow the news, has had lots of uh, forest fires. So there's been lots of smoke around. And northern Saskatchewan's had forest fires. So we've been getting it from both sides, depending on the wind direction. Crops, you know, the, the commercial beekeepers here that rely on the crop production of canola uh, or, or the berry production in BC, the crops have not been particularly good. And when we, we had that hot spell of like 40 above for a week, where it only cooled down to like 27, 28 overnight. And that was just when canola was starting to bloom. So rather than staying uh, 21 days in bloom, a lot of that canola was done in 14 days because it was just going 24 hours a day. So it's really had an impact on, I think, uh, the nutritional components for, for bees all across the prairies in BC and uh, the ability to uh, uh, have a good honey crop. Yeah, so I guess it's early days yet to know absolutely what the effects on the honey crop are, but the feedback from beekeepers is there's definitely going to be an impact. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that, that's a shame. We had, uh, and as I say, we've had normal precipitation or around normal this year, but we had the drought um, here in, in the Atlantic region last year, and we, we sympathize with you. But, uh, you know, it seems like when we were looking at it last year and the statistics that were coming back, they were calling what, what we faced a 50-year event, meaning that this is something that would happen once every 50 years. But uh, I'm not sure that that's the truth anymore. I, I, I tend to agree with you, Andrew. I think we, we are going to be uh, uh, faced with some challenging weather phenomenons, whether it be too much rain, not enough rain, heat, uh, cool. It's going to be the extremes I think we're going to have to pay more attention to and uh, maybe be a little bit better prepared for those types of things. Yeah, absolutely. 
All right. Um, so perhaps, Rod, and, and as I said, the pandemic and where we are with it and, and, and the work that you've done around it is something we definitely want to discuss because I know that you've, you yourself and the Canadian Honey Council has dedicated a lot of time and resources to helping beekeepers during it. But maybe if before we get into the, that topic, we can just get an overview of, of what the Canadian Honey Council is there for, what its, its you know, main mandate is and, and what it's doing for, for beekeepers across the country. You bet. Uh, you know, the, the Canadian Honey Council, its membership is made up of the provincial uh, beekeeping organizations in Canada. So all, all the provincial organizations are a member. Uh, they'll have a, uh, a director for each province, two from Alberta, but for Atlantic Canada, of course, there's Chris Lockhart represents all four of, of the uh, beekeeping associations. So it's, you know, he's got a pretty diverse job to try to represent all four of those uh, provinces. And what we try to deal with are issues that uh, extend beyond the provincial association's jurisdiction and boundaries. So more federal issues, more issues that are common with beekeepers from one coast to the other coast. Things like, for example, uh, uh, nutrition labels for, for, your, for your product or, or uh, dealing with MRLs or um, all those things that uh, may affect a beekeeper in general, but is broader in broader context than just the province. So there's, you know, 10,000 plus beekeepers in Canada. We try to represent all of them. You know, 800,000 colonies. We certainly try to represent all of them, but it, it does, and it extends probably more into the commercial beekeeping business, but it's not exclusive to that. It does, what we do also impacts those hobbyists and, and sideliners who may only have one or two colonies. Yeah. I like that too, that the, the flow of support goes both ways from, from the beekeeper through their provincial association and their membership of that to the Canadian Honey Council and allows you to do your work, which then supports beekeepers at the provincial level. But as you say, the, the person with, with a few hives in their backyard, if they want to know how to correctly label their honey, even to sell farm gate or at the local farmers market, then that information is there for them. So, it's 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 a great structure to help beekeepers, um, you know, with great big problems that are national and international. But even you know the support for an individual beekeeper at the grassroots level. As I said, the pandemic is on everyone's mind, and we truly hope that we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, which I think we are. But um, I thought it was uh, worth, Rod, if we could spend a few minutes, because I know how much time, especially last summer, and, and sort of laid the, the, the foundations for what you had to do for this year to support beekeepers through, through the pandemic. So I'm, I know people would be interested to hear about that, that work you've done. Sure. You know, I think two big issues uh, that really came to came to mind during the pandemic had to do with labor and stock and uh, you know what we found for commercial beekeeping and it's mainly in the prairies but not exclusively because we get to have uh, employees from employers from Quebec on Ontario and BC but they uh, when commercial flights stopped 
the Canadian Honey Council had to look at chartering in temporary foreign workers. So, you know, one of the first things that happened is had to learn how to how to charter a plane, how to uh, look after manifests, how to uh, ensure that uh, the the data that's required, whether it be a passport or a vaccination data, uh, is available and completed before people arrive on it, at the airport. So the the uh, we did charter uh, two flights, you know, spring and fall, spring and fall, over the course of the last uh, two years to bring in workers from Nicaragua, and uh, Nicaraguan workers represent probably the second largest uh, nationality for temporary foreign workers for beekeepers. So, you know, that was that was one thing. But the 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 other thing was kind of related was the disruption in those transportation services and how it impacted stock replacement. Uh, of course, it, all beekeepers know that uh, we, we get 200, 230,000 queens imported into Canada, mainly from the US, from uh, mainland California and Hawaii. Well, last, last year, of course, the uh, flights from Hawaii were disrupted. So we had to look at FedEx, a, a different method of getting queens into Canada. It, and it wasn't easy. Uh, the uh, packaged bees coming in from New Zealand and Australia, well, COVID hit in basically March of uh, uh, 2020. And that's just the beginning of the season to bring packages in for, for beekeepers all across Canada. In fact, Eastern Canada, of course, gets it earlier than Western Canada and trying to negotiate with, with Air Canada, Air New Zealand, trying to, trying to ensure that we could get some kind of uh, uh, packages in, uh, took a lot of time and effort and for the most part, not successful. And again, this spring, same thing happened. There weren't enough commercial flights to, to meet the demand. In, in 2020, uh, we expected maybe uh, 30 to 40,000 packages had to be imported into Canada. For 2021, the expectation from at least those importers that, that, that bring in the packages and, and then sell, we had demands for about 80 to 90,000 packages. Wow. We were able to get in this spring about 15 to 18,000 packages. So way, way below the demand. Um, that was necessary, well, to, to meet that demand. So the pandemic has really highlighted some, uh, not flaws in the system, but some, some weaknesses. And it is certainly transportation and, and reliance on certain markets for stock and maybe pushed us or urged us on a little bit to look at things like our own nuke production and our own queen production domestically. So, you know, there's a, there's a give and a take, but I think the pandemic really um, emphasized that the, how, how very suspect our system is and reliant on, on certain things and how that capacity, not meeting that capacity has such an impact on beekeepers. 
and I think that issue extends beyond beekeeping. We've seen so many shortages and problems with getting things into, into the country. But certainly it, it does push that agenda, which has always been there, you know, for the last number of years, we've recognized we need to produce local queens. But I, I do know, Rod, that the, the work you just talked about, I, I don't think people probably fully appreciate. I was hearing about some of it and to, to learn what you needed to learn to charter planes and all that that you, that you were referring to, you didn't have a comfortable time to figure that all out because those workers needed to arrive and those, those bees needed to arrive. And I think that's an excellent example of, of the, the work that a national governing body like the Canadian Honey Council can do for beekeepers because there's just no way individual beekeepers could tackle a problem like that and get those workers for their own operation in time to, to meet the, uh, the regular schedule of beekeeping. So um, I, I think it's an excellent and wonderful example of some of the work that you do. So if we could maybe move on, to, and I don't think we'll have time broad today to get through all of the projects and, and things that the uh, Canadian Honey Council does, but. I know one of the one of the things that I find interesting and, and really important that, that you have undertaken is the working against honey fraud, which is something we're all aware of. But I know that when it comes to tackling that that in Canada, the honey council is at the forefront. So we'd be interested to hear about your work around that as well. Sure. It's um, you know, I think the general public and beekeepers in general know that uh, there, there is instances of, of honey fraud in Canada and, and honey does represent either the, you know, worldwide, either the second or third most fraudulently produced product. And, and it's easy to do basically. And unless you have the science and the technology there in place to, to prevent it, it, it it's an ongoing problem. So, you know, with, with the cooperation and, and support of uh, the Canadian Food Inspection Agency, um, the, the Canadian Honey Council was able to urge them to start doing some government testing of uh, imported and domestically produced honey. And that uh, occurred a couple of years ago. Uh, they, they tested uh, you know, over hundreds of samples and, and uh, made those results public. That was the first time in, in history that a federal government, that a government of any nationality had done testing and they used NMR technology and um, printed out the results. So, you know, Canada became a leader at this uh, testing for, for fraudulent honey. And, that, and it was at the urging of the Canadian Honey Council to get this done because we are a an exporting country. We export over 50% of the honey that we produce. Now it's that that's from most of those exports occur, of course, in Western Canada and domestically produced honey is in Eastern Canada. Normally you guys will be able to sell your honey locally. So yes. the testing, not only domestic and uh, imported is, is important because you have to also prove to your consumer locally that what you're producing is, is, is true product. So that mix of testing both international and domestic produce, I think is, is pretty important. Um, 
CFIA has agreed to, uh, has done this now for two years and they've agreed that they are going to continue to do this every year, which I think is a great job or a great emphasis by the government to, to help our industry, uh, both domestically and internationally. Even this year, the Canadian Honey Council is, is uh, uh, for the first time ever, uh, putting in money for a, a research project that's going on where we're getting honey samples from across Canada and they're going to the uh, University of British Columbia where there is a joint initiative between uh, uh, NMR technology and mass spectrometry going on. This uh, Dr. Leonard Foster in, in UBC has now gone to uh, mass spectrometry to look at fraudulent honey. It's a little bit cheaper than NMR. It's a new technology. And it's one of the things I think it's really important in this battle against fraudulent honey is you've got to be at, on the forefront of technology. You can't just use one test because those that are trying to beat it are, are, are able to find a way to beat it fairly quickly. So to have a, a, a toolkit where you have an abundance of different types of tests ensures that fraudulent honey won't won't come in and won't be exported. Yeah. The, the other side of it that you alluded to, the important message is that even though in Eastern Canada, we don't export much honey at all because we're very lucky that the consumers in our region recognize the quality of our own product here and we can sell it without having to export. But th this is such a high profile and, and newsworthy uh, thing that, that people hear, all they hear is fraudulent honey. And I think the message has to be, there is fraudulent honey, but not all honey is, is uh, contaminated or, or is fraudulently produced. Um, and when we do this sort of work and this testing you're talking about, it demonstrates that to people. It's like, okay, here's the samples from Canada and here's the samples that weren't from Canada. We can see a difference. And I, that was what was shocking to me in that first report that you referred to was the distinct difference between yes. Canadian honey and the rest of the world. Yeah, we're, uh, you know, I think for the most part, uh, beekeepers in Canada, small or large, uh, recognize the, the quality of their honey, know that it's of uh, extremely good quality and don't want to jeopardize that international reputation. And, and so, yeah, th these tests have, are proving kind of that uh, Canadian beekeepers are trustworthy. They produce a good quality product. Uh, and uh, that reputation, we hope, kind of spreads internationally and is spread domestically to give that consumer confidence. I know, Rod, we bumped into each other at Apimondia, which, believe it or not, was a few years ago now in Montreal and the honeys from all over the world that were being promoted as unique and special, which they were. I think Canadian honey is just as good and just as unique and just as special as any of those. And, and of course our, our Eastern Canadian honey is the best in Canada, I will say. Yeah. You don't have to agree because you might- I, I, won't, I won't argue. We do have a, a very good product here and it could be promoted globally. And the other side of that at Apimondia was the, this, the honey contest. 
um, I've been involved in a few honey contests over the year and they were fun and they were local um, and everybody enjoyed themselves and I've won and I've lost and it's just a very enjoyable thing to be part of. The honey contest at Avamondia is very serious. It's a whole it's different, actually different yes. scale. Yes. And uh, I think it raised a lot of eyebrows about the amount of honey that was disqualified. There was a little bit of a, I guess, an issue between adulterated, the terminology adulterated honey, and the honey that was disqualified. They were all kind of grouped together because there were a lot, I would say a lot of the honey that never reached the bar or the standard was related to uh, uh, maximum residue levels of pesticides or something or something else in the honey. It's not necessarily corn syrup or rice syrup. It was some other items that disqualified them from from being judged. But you know, when you have over, and I'm, I'm this is just out of memory. I think it was almost forty percent of the honey was not deemed as honey. That that's pretty eye opening for an international honey competition. Yeah, and I, those are the numbers I recall as well. But uh, at the time, it's, it's, it's a hard thing for the beekeeper who submitted the sample. But I think for the industry to raise the bar and say, okay, we have these tests and now we can easily identify contamination, adulteration, et cetera. I think it makes, um, and, and the work to be done in Canada may be less than other regions, but there's still work to be done. But globally, everybody is aware that, okay, we have to be very careful with how we produce honey. There's strict guidelines on what honey is, both internationally and here in Canada. And I think, um, it, you know, it just makes us all a little bit better at producing what we need to, to have that stamp of this is a quality product for our consumers. That's right. And, and really, again, CFI is uh, one of the few, or Canada is one of the few countries where we, we have a definition of honey where honey has to come from a honeybee where other countries don't necessarily point that out as, you know, you and I may think that's a, an automatic assumption, but other countries don't necessarily have that definition, including the United States. And there's a whole committee uh, within the Canadian Honey Council working on all of these issues? There is, and, and it's uh, co-chaired by Chris Lock, Lockhart, who's, who's, who's the rep down there. Um, and, and we've been, most recently, we've been working uh, on definitions. A lot of beekeepers label their honey pasteurized. Well, pasteurized in, in true literal terms is not, is not something that happens to honey. We're not heating it to take out a bacteria. It's basically heating it to, to filter it a little bit so that it won't uh, crystallize. So we've asked CFIA to maybe look at, is there another term that properly represents what pasteurization, that process is, in, in, that so-called process for honey. Another term that's used on labeling is raw. And mm -hmm. the strict definition of raw honey is it's not filtered at all. So we know that for the most part, even if you've got raw honey, you, you want to warm it up a little bit, put it through a little bit of a screen so you don't get bee parts and, and anything else in that, in that jar or in, in the sale to the public. 
But that right there constitutes something that dis disqualifies the ter terminology. So we again asked CFIA, can we look at putting a uh, maybe a maximum temperature and a and a, a gauge uh, filter gauge amount so that there's some real definition. The definition has some meaning. And the third thing I think, and maybe the most important thing for beekeepers right now is that that on store shelves we're starting to see things like. Uh, honey spreads. And those honey spreads uh, may have 10% honey and 90% corn syrup. And they're right beside where you're selling honey. So what we're, we've asked CFIA is to look at perhaps something similar to what the maple syrup industry has done and, and get those definitions out there so that if it says honey spread, it has, the, has to there has to be a constituent of a percentage amount of honey that makes sense. So one of the fears here is, and it kind of goes back to this adulterated honey question. If we block honey coming into Canada that's adulterated and was labeled honey, can it still get in if it's now labeled a honey spread and still show up on the store shelf right beside a Canadian product? So we're trying to prevent that type of thing from occurring before it gets too far down the the uh, bicycle path yeah it, it, i think it ties in one of the things i've heard quite recently it's been an issue that's been um, talked about for a while but apparently the in food labs now um, they can create products which chemically in terms of the sugar structure are very very similar to honey and I think there's a market for it for people for whatever reason don't want to use honey as an animal product. Um, so these have been created for that niche. But there is some suggestion that they could be identified as honey or honey like. And I, I think it's the same situation, really, isn't it? That if it is. And, and yeah. that, that's another example that I believe they're selling a product like that in California right now, a chem chemical product. Now, the good thing. In Canada, as I said, CFIA says honey must come from a bee. But we don't know, again, is honey a flavor or a constituent? Is it, is it a product or a flavor? And if it's a, if, if it's a flavor, how do you define it? Mm. And that's part, kind of where we're at right now with, with CFIA, because I think the emergence of those types of products puts more and more stress on, on the beekeeper. Yeah, and, and obviously the overall market is only so big. So if, if we can produce these, I, I guess the word is artificial honeys, I would expect the production costs would be much, much less than actual honey. And they will take that, that part of the market away. So it's, uh, I'm glad that you're working on these definitions, Rod, because I know there's a lot of complexity in this. Um, but it's, it's, I think it needs to be done to support our beekeepers to make sure that there's a clear distinction between this is honey and there's no, you know, you can't deviate from this is a product that comes from plant sources, is made by bees. And that's basically what honey needs to be. Other things that are honey-like, it, it, it might fit into a market niche that needs to be... Uh, needs to be uh, satisfied, but um, it's not honey, I think. And that's, that's an excellent point that needs to be made. One of the most interesting ones is uh, 
on the store shelf right now is vegan honey made with no honey. And, and you go, <laughs> you know, yes. How, how is that possible? No, I know. But again, in, in Canada, the, I, I'm assuming with the work that you've done, you've done and are doing in the Canadian uh, Food Inspection Agency, that would not meet our national definition of honey. Therefore, we wouldn't as Canadians see a vegan honey, which was not, as I said, from a plant source made by bees. Yeah, hopefully. But, you know, I think there's, there's markets out there that um, perhaps CFIA hasn't identified, uh, you know, on the store shelf for small niche sales, but it's the emergence of those types of products, I think, that really puts, puts us on the, uh, on, on the uh, forefront of trying to address the problem. Yeah, and, and a lot of this, I think, comes down to educating consumers, just so sure. they know there is a clear distinction, just because a product claims to be um, honey-like it's a long way from actual honey. And I think education is another big aspect of the whole overall um, work of the Canadian Honey Council. And I know you've got some interesting projects uh, on the go yourselves and in collaboration with others to educate beekeepers and, and um, people in the industry. Yeah, we've uh, just recently started out these kind of information projects that we're uh, uh, sending out to all the uh, provincial associations to help distribute, you know, just quick little um, posters to be used on social media, trying to inform the public uh, of, you know, what honey is, what maybe these other products are. We haven't, as a national organization, you know, we don't have the budget to look at uh, ad campaigns, maybe like the dairy commissions do or, or things like that. So, we kind of have to do this on a smaller scale, using what means we can, using the effectiveness of provincial organizations and their contacts to try to distribute that message as best we can. But it is, it's something we have started, uh, and it was uh, with a, with a lot of help from BeeMade, uh, the honey cooperative that's you know mainly out in Western Canada, yes. in in developing these posters. And another excellent way that you communicate and educate beekeepers is through your national magazine. Hopefully, uh, every um, every beekeeper should should get a copy of Hive Lights. Uh, you know, we, we try to give as much pertinent information, not only what our board is doing and what's happening in each province, but you know, things on honey prices, our imports and exports, uh, uh, and certainly some of the the work that. Uh, uh, the Canadian Association of Professional Apiculturalists do some of the interesting research. It's a, a mishmash and it, it also um, helps, I guess, provincial organizations piggybacks onto a number of their, their provincial magazines or newsletters or blogs and, and trying to, you know, enhance all the information that beekeepers can get. Well, I know I look forward to my copy every season because it is it, it, it has some of the information that is important nationally, but also a regional update, which is, is directly relevant to me as a beekeeper in Eastern Canada. So yes, a great perk of being a member of your local provincial association to get the hive lights. Uh, so uh, Rod, it sounds like you're tremendously busy with, with all this work. I know you're doing additional work on, on labeling and have in the past because it's one of those um, 
roles that is so crucial that that uh, you know you're the voice for beekeepers between the 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 federal government policymakers who are deciding on what should be on honey labels and and how that impacts on on actual beekeepers maybe you could give us just you know a few of the the, the highlights of the <laughs> of that sure. labeling work yeah and and i think you know for the for beekeepers i think you you uh, should be aware of the fact that we do have new labels available and it, it is on our website uh, and it, it was done cooperatively with uh, with uh, McCormick's with with Bee Made, with with members of our honey council and it was completed a couple of years ago so we were one of the first commodities to have uh, a new label out there because my understanding a lot of beekeepers will maybe print off a year's worth of label or maybe two years worth of labels for their for their jars or however they're selling their their product and so we wanted to make sure that this was out there early enough and if i think by december of this year the new lem, new nutrition label is mandated to be on your product so you know, it, it's there, it's been there, you can, you know, run off copies. Some provinces uh, uh, to make money from their provincial associations, use that label and sell it to their members. So, you know, I think it was important for us as a, as a national organization to, to get that label out there quickly for, for beekeepers because everybody has a different capacity and, and uh, uh, a use for that label. You know, as mentioned, we work a lot with CFIA and, and PMRA. So the, the labeling component of the product is, is um, takes up a lot of time. But we're in the, this unique position also where we also have honey as a product. We've got honey and we got bees and bees come under CFIA again as livestock. And so the the work again on that national level with 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 CFIA is is uh, broad in scope but is is important to every beekeeper I think. Yeah, and absolutely crucial and so easy for beekeepers to just find that information on your website and make use of it because the challenge for a small producer to develop labels themselves I think it would be beyond most most small operations, you know, the bigger ones certainly have, have access to resources that would allow them to hire nutritionists, et cetera, to, to look at what needs to be on the label and then deal with the Canadian Food Inspection Agency to make sure it meets all of their requirements. But I know myself certainly to just get access to that information easily and, and um, put, you know, readily available through your website is, is something that I could not do as a small, small, honey producer so it's it's interesting because uh, you you can go to the government websites but those get a little complicated at times and you know even uh, even for honey the product i think there's probably seven or eight different locations on the cfia websites as to you know uh, grading as to labeling as to uh, mrls all these other everything else in there in honey and we've tried, and and I know our website can certainly use uh, upgrading too. But at least tried to get as much much information in, in one location so that a beekeeper can look at it if he's looking at 
exporting or even if it's looking at selling at the farmer's market, here's some things that uh, uh, are there and he's found easily. Yeah, and you're aware of changes as they come along as well, which a lot of beekeepers, you know, with, with all that we have to do and how busy we can be, um, changes can come and go and we might not notice, but certainly yours would always be up to date and, and in consideration of any changes that came through the CFIA. Hopefully up to date. We certainly take suggestions if we aren't up to date. All right. Um, I know we've we've covered quite a th few things, Rod. Is there any other um, projects that you feel would be uh, worth mentioning to bring to the awareness of our beekeepers here in Eastern Canada? So much of what the CHC does and, and the board, and let's be clear, the board does an awful lot of work themselves uh, in providing input. I do encourage people to contact you know, the regional director, the director for the CHC, if there are issues and if there are concerns, because that's the only way we get to look at things at, uh, nationally is it come, comes up through them. So, you know, if, if you find that there's something that should be addressed or needs to be addressed, it's important to, to get hold of that, that director. Okay, thank you for that. And I know, Rod, I've seen you this end of the country many times. And um, I know if you have the opportunity, you will, you will travel down to visit us. And hopefully now, as we're seeing things ease a little bit with restrictions, um, we'll see you in Atlantic Canada again soon. I hope to. And I'd like to thank you very much for your time today. Thank you, Andrew. Your What's the Buzz with Ada Beekeeping podcast is brought to you by your Atlantic Tech Transfer Team for Ape Culture and Perennia Food and Agriculture. We would like to thank Rachel Oxner and Patty Ryan for production and editing. And we would like to thank you, our listeners. For more information on beekeeping in our region, visit our blog, www.atabuzz.com and find us on Twitter, atta at Atlantic Bee.